KO here. You are on Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical, social evolution, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. That means we are here to shake it up. This is the second interview from PodMax Live, the second run. Uh, We've got this varsity young human, Trevor Oldham, that is just incredible. He's 23 years old. He's founded a couple businesses at this point. He just published a book that I just received of the seasons. It's on Amazon. Check that out. He's the founder of Podcasting You. So young entrepreneur. It was in his heart early on and he is making some very, very uh, adult varsity moves as a young player in the game. We talk about finance and money. Again, uh, focusing, we've got a finance and money theme for these three casts from PodMax Live. And so this is from the younger perspective. So listen in if you're a young entrepreneur and just kind of learning the ropes. He talks about the value of integrity and customer service. I can't wait to see what this this guy does next. He's making moves out there. So listen in and enjoy. This is an awesome one for young humans, family friendly, anyone looking out there to take charge of their own finances, uh, which we take a look around this pandemic. We all should be. This is a great starting point. Awesome work, Chuck. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Um, I'm excited to hear your story. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Thank you. I'm excited to, excited to be here. Yes. How did your first interview go? Uh, it went really well. Yes. It, uh, I did it with uh, Lisa Ann Murphy. It was perfect, uh, perfect interview. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, let's let's jump right in. Give us some background. Where you're coming from? Uh, maybe born and raised, college experience or schooling experience, and then how you got to where you are right now. Sure. So right now I'm in Massachusetts, so the central part of the state. Um, if anyone's familiar, Shrewsbury, right next to Worcester, is pretty much the nearest city. So literally in the heart of the state. And then it's just going a little bit further on, you know, 23-year-old entrepreneur. I <laughs> started you know, multiple different businesses, graduated college last May. And that was a, that was a good time. Felt finally free from being from college and being able to run my businesses full-time. So it's definitely been a, been a good time being able to graduate. Very cool. Well, so obviously you started your business while you're in college. Yep. Started multiple, started first business as a senior in high school. So did that for about probably two or three years and then started another business, did that for about another two or three years. And then now we're on the podcasting year, which is in its third year and the longest business I've been able to run. Okay. Well, let's, okay. Let's start. Let's back up a little bit. Do you come from an entrepreneurial family or where is this entrepreneurial fire coming from? I think about five years ago, I was working a job making $7 and three cents an hour. And I knew that there had to be a way out and I came across a book and there was the differences between the lower middle and upper class. And one of the differences between them and the up, the basically the lower middle and then the upper class is the upper class had gone off and started a business. And I really thought to myself, well, in the past I had bought and sold baseball cards. I bought and sold Ed Hardy clothing, which was popular at the time. You could buy it at TJ Maxx and, and Marshall's mowed lawns door-to-door lemonade selling it and all that good stuff and not really realizing it was called entrepreneurship. I was just like, this is a way for me to make money for myself where I don't have to go out and get a job. And also there's child labor laws where I literally can't can't go out and get a job because I'm, you know, 8, 10, 11, 12, 12 years old. And kind of just went through and, and got that job making $7.03 an hour. And that three cents comes as a three cent raise after working there for three months. And really just I really just wanted a way out. And I came across that book that I had mentioned. And, and what I discovered is 
I could buy and sell products from China, importing them from Alibaba and AliExpress. For those of you who aren't know who don't know that, and basically, I bought fifty phone cases for eighty dollars. Learned the hard way that if you buy name brand name brand products from China, they might be knockoffs. So all my customers on eBay quickly realized that as I as I did myself. But I didn't really want to stop there. I, I found these products and watches on AliExpress, the bracelets were a buck. I would sell them for $18, watches $2, sell them for $20. Did a lot of influencer marketing. I found out that there's influencers with 10, 20, 30,000 followers. And I could reach out to them and say, Hey, I'll give you a free product if you promote me. And usually nine times out of 10, they were happy. And you'd look at it. I would spend a dollar on a bracelet, $3 on the packaging, $4 total to get them to promote my company for free. And then also there'd be photographers around the company, around the country, They'd have 500 followers, so nothing major, nothing big. But I would give them my product to do photo shoots, you know, with their models, and I was able to grow that brand that way. And the cool thing about that is, I was running that business from my dorm room, but by having these all these people around the country promoting it, it made it look like I was a major, major company, and it looked like I had a lot of brand recognition. I think I even put on my business card that I was like vice president or manager to, to, to make the company look even even bigger than I than I had been running. And then I really. I found the company become the lion and I wanted to go out there and motivate individuals. And that company just grew so, so quick. 600,000 followers within the first year, blog, podcast, books, courses, all these good things you name it. But what I learned after pretty much two and a half, three years of working on the business and spending pretty much all my times, weekends, mornings, nights, is that just because you have this you know, motivational content and we had this large following didn't mean that people are necessarily going to purchase from us. People love consuming motivational content. They love commenting on it. They love liking, sharing it. But when it came time to say, Hey, purchase our course, you know, crickets. (laughs) So after just so many years of running that, I felt a little burnt out, just wanted to take a quick break. And then after about six months or so, just began freelancing. A lady, um, I found a job who wanted to get booked on podcasts. And I was like, hey, I could take this job with her. Uh, actually, I still work, to her, work with her this day three years later and kind of got started in my business. I run now podcasting you, worked with her, got her booked on a couple of podcasts. She gave me some referrals. They gave me some referrals, put some marketing behind that and then grew the company. And now it's the, the most profitable, most fun um, and can't go, can't go wrong with it. Well, Matt, I, I love this. This is a lot of entrepreneurial journey at an, at an early age. Um, and I love our, our young humans. I'm 39, so I, I want to say I'm not that far away from you, but I kind of am. Uh, and I didn't grow up with social media. I actually got on Facebook post-college. So, I, and I'm, I, I do everything like digital. I shouldn't say digital marketing. We do marketing and branding, and I really focus on the human element. We help companies get into like the fitness and wellness space, tons of consumer packaged goods, uh, athletic apparel, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I've had to learn social media, Instagram, you know, everything after I was, I don't even know, like 25, 26. So to grow up with it, you're in a whole different uh, experience level. And I put such value to our young humans that have lived it. And I love that the, the transparency that it provides, or you guys can see if a company's true and authentic, just like you said, with the knockoffs, people, our young people know if it's BS or not. And that's really what our world needs on a larger conversation. If kind of, instead of these really great marketing companies coming in and shaping a message the way they want to see it, they need to see what's the truth and the, you know, the humans, the companies that are really doing it the right way. Um, I love that, that this filter is now in where they can see through what, what's real and what's not, um, or you guys, I should say, uh, tell us more about how'd you get into like, 
I mean, was podcasting, did you, have you known about this for a while? Like how did podcasting come about? And then I want to hear further unpack this podcasting new business. So when I had started the company, become the line, we had, we had a good Instagram following at that time, but we just saw what happens if something comes into the industry and disrupts it and people are no longer following our Instagram. So we wanted to branch out. So I actually started my podcast at that time. And it was really, I got to know the in and outs of podcasting. Unfortunately, I wish I still ran it, but I no longer run it. Um, it's been probably two or three years since okay. I had my show. Since I had my show, I, I wish I did, but I got to interview some really cool guests like Joel Brown from Addicted to Success, John Lee Dumas, um, Chris Ducker, Mike Dillard. I, I really played that young entrepreneur card to get some of these, to get some of these guests on my show. And I got introduced into the world of podcasting that way from interviewing these hosts. And for myself, I was like, you know, I'm doing all this time having ho or having guests on my show. Maybe I should try to get myself on some other show. So I just had no real idea at the time. And I created a pitch for myself or what I thought was a good pitch at that time and just went to, went to iTunes and just started pitching all the hosts there. I mean, the conversion rate was pretty terrible. I think I maybe got 10, 10 <laughs> interviews out of like 300 emails sent. So probably didn't do, didn't do that well, but I kind of just got started, kind of got started that way. And, and luckily that led me to you know, feel confident enough if I worked that with that one client initially, I could help her get booked on shows. I never really expected it to just be a full-time business. At that time, I was freelancing. I was writing blogs for people, helping them out with their social media, and then additionally, just helping this one individual get booked on podcasts. And what I learned is I could spend you know 10 minutes and get her booked on a show and get paid $200, or I could spend five hours writing a blog post and get paid the same amount. I learned I could get paid a lot more quicker by getting people booked on podcasts. So over the year, over the year, I really just gravitated towards the podcasting you business because I just learned that it's a lot easier and I can make a lot more money quicker than doing a blog content. Well, so, okay. So riddle me this, how are you making money? Cause right now I don't pay any of my guests and actually strategically. So I don't do sponsors right now. I'm in a space and I hail a little bit from the sponsorship strategic partnership space. Then I want to keep it very, uh, authentic, no handcuffs, no sponsor rules. At some point I do want to monetize it, but how are you, uh, getting paid off booking? Are these shows that are paying people to come on? So what our clients do is so they pay us to work with them to get them booked on shows. So they'll pay right. us, you know, so our, like, let's say our, our package right now starts at 3000 for 15 shows. So we usually base that out, you know, over three months. So we look at five shows a month. So our client will come to us. They want to get booked on 15 shows. We have that $3,000 package and then that's pretty much it. So we, you know, we don't pay the hosts that are out there. Um, they don't pay us. So it's more to that. We find that mutual beneficial relationship where these hosts, instead of having to go out and necessarily find guests for the show, which especially, you know, sometimes that can be a little bit difficult and can be a little bit of work. So we try to sort of solve that process by bringing a guest to them. And then it sort of works out on all parties. The host finds a good guest, the, the client, you know, finds a good show to be on. And then additionally, we get paid for sort of being that middleman and brokering that relationship. I love it. So then do you have just a bunch of strategic partnerships with like hundreds of podcast shows? We do. And that's the best thing. Is, and that's something that's had to been built from the ground up. Initially, yeah. we had no relationships, but now, you know, it's a lot easier and we focus on certain niches and certain clients that we work with. So we find that, let's say we work with online marketers, you know, we've worked with, you know, 10, 20 online marketers. So that way we can go back to the host and say, you had X, Y, and Z on your show we have another good client that would be a fit for your show and here's why. So instead of having to send out that cold email, it sort of comes in as a warm sort of 
pitch where they've worked with our company in the past. If they've had three clients on, then we know they really like us. So it's really just fostering that relationship and keeping up that good relationship with the host. I mean, and it's that's something that developed over time. It wasn't something that happened. And one day it's been a process of three years or so. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Even in my last cast um, with Kevin Dugan, we talked about businesses, relationships, fostering the relationships, how they really do take time. Uh, I think sales is a phenomenal experience and it's one thing if you need to sell right away, but cultivating that relationship for the long term can really convert to you know, long-term sales. And, and then, you know, if you kind of got your team and your crew right there, it's very turnkey sales at one point. Um, if you can facilitate and, and again, foster those relationships, uh, is, so how many podcasts do you guys work with at this at right now? Like how many would you say are like on your roster? So we probably 500 or so. And that's, wow. and even then that's taken a long time because so 500, it means we have the host name, podcast name, show description, iTunes link, website, contact information and the contact information if, if it's going to an assistant. So it's just a database we've built out over time. And then just something we're always updating. Sometimes a show might be booked or a show, whatever reason, just stop producing episodes. But that's, that's the biggest thing. And I think it's the biggest value add we have as a company is anyone can go out there and get themselves booked. Anyone, you, know, it's, it could, you could write a good pitch in an hour. You could get a media kit. You could outsource that. It's just researching those shows and figuring out the exact right point of contact we find that with a lot of these shows that are out there, they have a podcast manager or they have an assistant who helps them, you know, checks their emails. And then just having that contact information on file makes it a lot easier than instead of, you know, usually we don't like to go directly to the host because that's usually not the decision maker. It's usually that assistant then who then brings it to the host. So we like to sort of shortcut that relationship and building out this database has definitely helped. And again, that's something that's taken uh, a very a very long time. Even trying to build a database of like a hundred shows might take 40 hours worth of work. So it's not something uh, that's like overnight. Oh, I think it's amazing. That database will be incredibly valuable on the business front. I'm sure you kept up with seeing all these acquisitions and mergers, of, you know, Spotify and Stitcher. And uh, like, what, what are your thoughts around that? Cause these are major business plays. I think it's, I think it's really good for the industry. I think anytime you can get good recognition for for the industry, I think even though I believe today there's around a million podcasts that are active, that's still a very, a very small industry when you compare it to other businesses that are out there. So I think anytime we can get our industry in the news, get people inter- interested in podcasts, I can say the biggest benefit, both being a host as you get to network and a guest you being able to network. And I think it's something that everyone should be doing. And plus listening to them. I mean, how nice is it just put on a podcast, whatever industry you're in. I know for me, I listen to like business podcasts. Well, um, you know, I'm driving in the car. They're free. I get to learn about someone new, a new strategy. What other place can you do that? I mean, I guess you could go out and purchase a book on an audible and listen to it, but I find it's, it's way more personable listening to podcasts and listening to someone's story to figure out, all right, they started off as an entrepreneur from here. They built this business up to, you know, that B starting point. And then just figuring out listening to that, you know, 45 minute interview and really being able to learn and, and listen and then take that back to myself. So I think, I mean, I'm just obviously a big proponent of podcasts, just being in the space and it's however my business, but I think anytime these podcasts merge, it's definitely a very, very good thing for the space, especially, you know, you look at the Joe Rogan show and, and I believe Spotify signed them to a hundred million dollar contract. And I believe the details are like 10, 10 million a year over 10 years. That's, that's super beneficial. People are going to go check out, Spotify, you know, just to get listen to his show, if he's pulling that off iTunes, then that becomes, all right, no, they're paying a hundred million dollars. There's gotta be something, there's gotta be something good about that podcast. I 
think it just opens up the doors for more people to go out there and start their podcast, understand that someday, you know, maybe they won't be paid a hundred million, but they could make, you know, really generate some revenue from it. Well, when you see some of these big fish get in that have, you know, analysts and teams that can do, you know, study algorithms and what, you know, there's, there's value to that. And you know, that there's something stirring in the water there. So even if you don't have that in research or analysis done, you can kind of follow some of these bigger fish and know that like, okay, like some sharks are swimming. We know that there's meat somewhere. Like, we know that there's blood in the water. So you might want to start paying attention. And uh, interestingly enough, I've read a lot around the Joe Rogan deal and people say he was underpaid and actually and kind of digging into the valuation and, and, and everything else. I, I would agree. I mean, he's got massive reach. Mm. Um, you can really dial in some of the analytics and really get your marketing very dialed in. It's, it can be repeated. Um, and there's so many angles. So it, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me to see how it's going to grow. I really hope as a podcaster, they, you know, things don't get too uh, redlined or handcuffed or, um, you know, controlled like the FCC and FTC, like how they're controlling most mediums. I hope we can stay handcuffed free on a lot of levels. I don't know if that will be, what it is, but that's what I love about podcasting. We can literally do and say and talk about anything we want in any way we want to. Um, so I hope our freedom isn't a cost of some of the growth, but, I, but like you, I agree. I'm, I'm excited to see some of these, you know, these big waves happening in, in this podcast ocean. And I think a good thing is all these new podcasts that are even being created every day. I think it really, it really puts pressure, not so much pressure, but on the shows that want to be good and great. Cause now before, you know, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of shows and no one knew what was good. No one knew what was bad. And now it's really giving a sort of that edge to the competition where if you go out there and you produce a high quality show, you have, you know, good guests, or even if you don't have good guests, if you just put out good quality content, it can help yourself rise to that sort of top. And that's sort of something I think that we're going to see going forward is there might be a little drop off on these shows that think that they can just go out there, put up five episodes, they're going to make money. They're going to have a following where people don't understand if you're in it for the long haul, you put in this good quality content, you actually take time to prepare for your episodes, whether that's a solo episode, whether that's having guests, you know, promoting that, promoting your interview properly. I think those shows are really going to have an opportunity to rise above because there really hasn't been so much, you know, what's a good show? What's a bad show? And I think as more shows come out, you know, they're going to be an opportunity, especially even if you are a newer show, if you really produce a high quality show, you're going to attract listeners. Yeah, I, I agree. And, I, and like in any other natural state of business, competition's good. It keeps you on your toes. It elevates the level. And what I think a lot of people don't know is how much podcasting to make it even pretty good, uh, let alone <laughs> great, is a lot of work. I mean, it's hard. Like I'm not obviously a technical person. You see me with this JV ring light. <laughs> but learning audio and the mics and, uh, the mixer. I mean, there's a lot to know that, and that's completely out of my realm. I, I've enjoyed most of it, uh, and learning it, but it's, it's, it's a totally different space. And then you get into production and then the marketing side of it. I mean, it's a lot of work. And again, most of us are not monetizing it yet. Uh, so it's, it's a jungle. I will say embracing the freedom and, and the, the people it's brought into my life, the community, and I'd be curious to hear your take on this. The community of humans it is cultivating, I'm pretty impressed with. Like, it's some pretty phenomenal people. Oh, most certainly. And I think, you know, those podcast expos, I know today we're speaking, you know, we're at an event together, at, you know, Podmax. And I think it's really just pulling people together and having that common connection. And plus, we're having a one-on-one -on -one discussion right now where if I send you an email and I said, can I take 15, 30 minutes to pick your brain? Usually you're going to be like, no, you know, that, that's not going to work. But if I come on and say, I could, you know, provide benefit to your audience, you know, then it works out. And especially as a host, if you want to 
associate yourself with brand names in your industry where usually it would be hard to build a connection and hard to build a reach with. If you have a podcast and you can promote that you know, individual, you're being able to benefit them. They're going to see the benefit in you. And it's just going to allow you to build that relationship. I just think the best thing about podcasts is just this one-to-one connection. You know, we're not at a crowd. We're not, you know, yes, we're at a, you know, an online conference right now, but in, you know, in our rooms right now, it's just, you know, me and you where, you know, you might go to uh, in in-person conference where there's, you know, hundreds of people. And it's like, is it just, you know, here's my business card. I'll take your business card. And that sort of thing, you know, no one really is going to, you know, I would assume no, no one's really going to follow up on those because there's just too much going on where podcasts really just allows you to build that relationship in that one-to-one space. I completely agree. And, you know, that's something that's ironically, it's lost a little bit. I think in digital space and social media, everything is so instantaneous. Even if you're watching a YouTube video, usually like fast forward it to like Mm -hmm. the beat of what you want, but you know, cultivating that conversation, really getting to know someone, seeing all the sides of them, you know, somebody's turmeric and then their tequila and like all these, you know, the hats that most people wear and the, the genuine, you know, interesting idiosyncrasies that every human provides and be able to unpack that a little bit. Even if you've only got, you know, 15 minutes to get to know someone, you can really, you know, start to rebuild that human connection. And that's what our world needs, you know, now more than ever. Um, as we're, you know, we kind of are a generation apart. What do you, do you have hope amongst your peers that people, our young people are connecting more, even though you are more than ever in this digital disconnected world. Do you think because of podcasting or whatever that you guys are connecting as humans a little bit more? What's your view on that? I think it really, I want to say, I think people are connecting a little bit less where okay. just, no, cause it's more just like people have these lives on social media where it's on Instagram and, and Facebook and I could go on there and I could post a video saying, Oh, look at me. You know, I'm, I'm at this event and I'm building connections. I'm you know potentially generating clients where I didn't show you, you know, the three years that it took to build the business or I didn't tell you about that client that, you know, dripped me on a thousand dollars. I never got that money back in. And I really struggled that month to pay my bills. And I think our generation, you know, we're really glamorous and we try to just show the highlights of our life where, at least when it comes to podcasting, we can go into the nitty and gritty where I can, you know, I can go in and tell you all these horror stories of business where I feel like a lot of times on pe- on social media, people don't necessarily go out there and promote that or they're scared what people think of them. But for me, I don't know, it's just when it comes to podcasting, I think it is, again, it's, it's in that one-to-one space where I feel more comfortable to go into some of the darker times of, of being an entrepreneur and, and starting a business. And I feel like that human connection can be lost on social media. So I hope, I really hope going forward, we do build better connections. I'm, I'm a little worried with what's going on because it's made us more, I'll be, I'll be inside at this moment. And I think that might've been a direction we were trending a little bit, but my goal is, is going forward is trying to build those connections with individuals and understand that we're all in this together, you know, no matter what it might be, you know, I'm here to help you. You're here to help me. We can all help each other. I completely agree. And I'm excited again to hear some of our young humans say that because uh, I grew up in, I mean, I was an athlete, but a very competitive space. And even in business, it was, you know, don't help your fellow business human. Don't do this. As an athlete, it shifted that of, we all need to work together. There's plenty of, there's plenty of humans, potential customers out there. We don't, you can be competitive without not being, uh, 
competitive and not supportive amongst your fellow competitors. I think it's great to be amongst competitive people so that you both continue to raise the bar for each other. That being said, I've, I've helped many people start their cast or given my advice or shared my tricks of the trade or, or my learnings because I'm not worried that they're going to take away clientele or sales or whatever from me. There's billions of humans out there. There's more than enough to go around. I think it's more important that we start ushering in these great humans to have a voice, to share their angle, to maybe foster more positive messages towards their you know, niche markets or whatever it might be. There's no real need to, to worry about competition in that regard. Um, where do you think some of this, you know, be a good person, work together? Where does that, I mean, you're 23 and I'm not saying that as, oh, you're too young. I think that's, you know, these are, our young humans are making waves very early nowadays and, you know, that opportunity is at their fingertips with social media, digital, everything, podcasting, what have you. Uh, where does this very grounded space come from? Uh, did you grow up with this? I mean, cause I think these are some older lessons at 23. I feel like you're ahead of the game as a moral human. I think it really just comes from my family, you know, and specifically my dad, you know, I really look at him as a mentor and really being able to, you know, help me out and, and raise me sort of the right way. And I guess, you know, describing it that way, you know, he's always been open to all my ideas. You know, every night I have a phone call with him and go over what's going on in the business. How can I improve the business and really just looking at him. And I think he really has just raised, you know, my, I also have a brother and sister who are, 30 and thir- about to be 31 uh, tomorrow. So celebrating my sister's birthday tomorrow. So she turns 31 tomorrow. And I think he really just raised all of us, you know, in that right way. And he's always just been super encouraging, be, you know, always be kind to others. And with him, I just really saw that. And I really got to see that in his own personal life and just being able to talk to him, you know, every single day. And I really just think that stems from the family that I had surrounded with. And I'm very, very grateful. They've always been encouraging me for my ideas, always trying to be kind to others. And I think that kindness really comes from also my mom as well. I can see how, how kind she is to every, you know, any individual, you know, even going out to a restaurant um, a, a couple of weekends ago, she, she tipped the waiter like an extra 20 or $40 just because they were having a hard time with, with what was going on. And, and then, you know, when I'm out at a restaurant, if I see someone having a hard time, my mom set that example of being able to tip this person next to 20 or $40. So maybe I should go out and do that. And I think it really just stems from my family and then just seeing how they act. And I'm just very, very grateful um, for, you know, for being raised with them and very, very thankful for my parents. Yes. Well, shout out to your sister. Happy birthday. <laughs> and um, to your parents, and this will actually go out at a later date, but we'll have birthdays all the days. Uh, to your parents <laughs> being original influencers of, you know, positive space and of uh, integrity and character. And I, one of my goals is I've had to get intentional about welcoming abundance around money and everything else. Um, but to be a big tipper, because I think that's so huge. If anyone's mm-hmm. ever worked in service, you get like a five or $10 tip. It's big. If you can walk away and just say, you know, here's a 20 or here's a 40. That's, that's awesome. And those, you know, those are the humans that are, I think are the, the major backbone of our country. And that's where money's really being moved. And, um, it's, those are the spaces where that can really, make a difference. If you're making, you said 703 an hour, if you get a $20 mm-hmm. tip and that's two plus hours of work, um, that you can really change someone's month. Like that's huge. Um, it's going to put a, you know, it's going to put a smile on their face too. And they're going to be more grateful to do a better job next time than if you, you know, let's say you're a waiter and, and someone gives you a 10% tip instead of, you know, the regular 15 to 20% or they don't even tip you at all. Is that going to make you want to do your job better the next time that someone comes in? No, you're going to, you're probably the rest of the day is probably not going to be that good. But think about if someone gave you, you know, a 40% tip on top of the meal, you're like, wow, you know, I must've done a really good job. This person must've really liked me. It gives you that confidence, especially if you're in, you know, perhaps a 
you know, a lower paying job, just by being able to help those individuals, you know, gain that confidence, I think it could really, really help them. I completely agree. And if anyone's ever, I don't know if you have one story or maybe you had a big tip or something, but usually those instances, you remember that forever and you reverberate that story. You go home and you're like, dad, you're never going to believe this. I had a $40 cash tip today. It was so incredible. And then like your dad will tell your mom and your mom will tell your sister and it goes, they tell their neighbor. I mean, it's kind of funny how that ripple effect goes and carries on. Um, do you have any one story that stands out in your mind where somebody did something that really blew you away? I think one is, so as I was like going in uh, high school, I'd been working at just like a local ice cream store during the summer. And every now and then someone would tip $20. And it was like, it was like the greatest thing ever. Cause now I was probably making it like $10 an hour at that time. Nothing, at least better than $7 an hour. Uh, <laughs> but that, it's crazy that $7 an hour came like, I don't know, three, four years later down the road. So I was like 14 at this time working at this ice cream place. So when someone would tip $20, Usually it'd just be me and a coworker working. So we'd split the tips $10, $10 a piece. And that was like, that was like, you know, that was the, the greatest thing. I was like, wow, that's a whole hour's worth of work. You know, usually people might tip like, you know, if the ice cream came to $3.75, they'd give us a quarter or, you know, they'd give us $1.25, but just giving us that $20. And I think the coolest thing is it just, it, it wouldn't happen every day. It's not like it would happen. You know, we were expected one day we would just open up the tip jar and be like, oh my God, there's a, there's a $20 tip in here and feel very, very grateful for that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so funny because it's all relative because you can start with, you know, it's $20 when you're 14 or, you know, 17 or 20 or even 40, whatever. And then, you know, then you get to like a bigger tip and it's a hundred, then it's a thousand and you get mm -hmm. your first big paycheck and maybe you got a big commission and it's kind of all relative, but that initial joy from that 20 bucks when you're young and starting out or someone just goes out of their way to do something extra. I feel like that initial joy is equal to that, you know, thousand dollar or $5,000 commission down the road. Um, and you'll probably retell that, that initial story more than you do the later on big commissions and the, the, the bigger quote unquote tips. Exactly. And it sort of leaves a lasting memory. You know, like you mentioned, I'll go home and I'll tell my mom and dad and they'll tell my brother and sister and they'll probably go out and tell those friends. So just thinking of that one grateful act by one person is going to have these reverberating effects across my family. And then they're probably going to be happy for me that I was able to get that. So just, you know, one small little act can just go very, you know, and make a big difference in someone's life. I completely agree. Uh, speaking of little acts and, and, and memorable po uh, moments and points, give me like one major failure uh, that you've had in your entrepreneurial journey. I know you're still a young human, youngish, and uh, but you've had a, you've had a wealth of experience at this point. You said you're working at 14 um, now to 23. That's 11 years of experience. Tell me like one big failure that you've had. Um, that, or that's not, is that 11 years? Or it's nine, years. nine years. Okay. <laughs> this is why we don't do math. We do brain. Um, but tell me one big failure, uh, outside of basic math skill that is mine, apparently, uh, that has really stuck with you that shaped where you are right now. I think the biggest failure for me is, so when I initially running podcasting you, I took on this client and I did about probably much worth of work for him, got him booked on 10 shows and our time at that rate. So that was about I want to say around a thousand, twelve hundred dollars, and when it came time to invoice him, he he disappeared. And uh, you know, at that time, you know, that was a lot of money for me. I was trying to pay part of my way through school, so that twelve hundred dollars was, you know, that was a big deal. That was pretty much one class per per semester. So I kind of was expecting that money to help pay for my schooling. And what I learned is that not everyone's going to be the nicest person out there, and I'm going to have to put. Unfortunately, now I'm going to have to put contracts in my business. I'm going to have to have people pay up front to put some skin in the game. And I'm going to have to look at, you know, their past reviews. And I found that 
if I would have looked at his past reviews, he's done some similar things to other um, workers, other freelancers. So like now it's like before I even take on a client, I'll like look at them, you know, check out their reviews, make sure that they're a good person. Cause I don't want to work with anyone that's, that's going to be bad. And that was, that was a big learning curve. I was like, wow, people can be really harsh in business. <laughs> you know, especially at that time I was probably 19 years old and I was like, wow, this guy, and he, he was a lawyer and he, you know, he's dripping a 19 year old of, of my money to pay for my schooling. And, and I'm assuming being a lawyer, he's going to be making a lot of money. Uh, he could definitely afford that $1,200 or a thousand dollar payment, however it may have been at the time. So that was a real learning experience to just no matter how good of a conversation you might have with someone to never fully trust them until you get everything into writing. Yeah. It's hard as you go on, you kind of do have this awakening of not everyone's a good person and you can get jaded by business very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly in these times when it's a pandemic and people are desperate. I mean, things are, people are losing jobs. They can't feed their families. Um, then we add in, you know, uh, a social and cultural war, if you will. Finally, we're, you know, becoming more awakened around what's going on around race. So there's all these, you know, heightened emotions. So people can make really desperate moves. So it's really hard. You have to always be a good business person and do your due diligence, get stuff and ready and do all that. Um, but you also have the balance of not getting jaded, knowing that our, at least I believe that most people mm-hmm. are good. You're always going to have, you know, a few that are you know, a little rough around the edges, but for the most part, I think it's good people. Yeah. And, and you're just going along with that. The majority of the people are, and that's, and all it just takes is that one sort of instance to be like, you know, in the past I had no contracts, commission only, you know, worked out, you know, worked, seemed like a good deal. But then you learn if it just takes one individual kind of, kind of ruins it for, for everyone else. But you just learn that, that, all right, you know, going forward, just to make sure myself, it doesn't happen again. What can I learn from it? You know, whatever business you may in, may be in that you're encountering a failure. I just, knew I had to put a contract in place. I had to have clients pay up front just to have some skin in the game to make sure they didn't, you know, even if I had a contract, they could still disappear. And I couldn't really, you know, well, I, what am I going to do? Sue them for, you know, a thousand dollars. That's, it's nice having a contract, but I wouldn't really want to go to that length. So it's just learning, you know, what can I do to make sure that this is going to be beneficial for my, for myself and for the client? What can we do to make sure that, you know, we're each going to help out each other in our services? Yes. Yeah. I think it's huge. And hopefully as you build that network, you start to filter out, you know, the, the garbage humans and mm-hmm. as, as big as the world is and, and how there's so much opportunity out there, it's also small. And so I think when you do act immorally or you're, you know, you're just a jerk, I, I think, I believe in karma. I believe in universe speaking. I think things always circle back. So it's so important to be a good person. Uh, but if you ever get, you know, morally sloppy at any point, you need to keep in mind that things will likely circle back and you will run across these similar humans at some point. And with that one instance that I, I encountered, I learned, I left them a bad review on Google, Google review. However, however I had done it at that time. And uh, so I left them a one star explained I'd, I'd worked for him. I did this work for, you know, a thousand dollars. He didn't pay me. I would not recommend worked with him. I posted it on his Facebook and the Google reviews. He took his Facebook reviews down so no one could see it. But what I learned is Facebook or Google, they would leave the review up. And I can't tell you how many times over the years where someone's come to me and be like, Hey, what exactly happened with your relationship with this individual? I was interested in work with him, but I saw your review. And then at that point I can tell them, you know, this is my experience. This is exactly what happened. I did the work. He didn't pay me my money. I would just not recommend working with them. And I think it's been viewed like over a couple thousand times. So, you know, you never know what's, what's going to happen. I mean, I've, I hold a grudge. I, I could, 
I'm not going to share his name, but you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if someone screws me over, you know, I don't take kindly to that. And that was sort of my way of, you know, of trying to get back. And I, you know, my goal is hopefully I've deterred, you know, thousands of dollars from his business where people might've worked with him and then not even realize that he's not a good person. Oh, and that's, and that's huge. I, again, this is like kind of the upside of the social and digital world that everything is now way more transparent than it once was. And you can't just be morally corrupt and get away with it. Like Mm -hmm. we are, I think that's really why our world's in this disruption that it is. Thank goodness. Um, because there's no more of this. You can fully position, uh, the way you want to be seen. Now there's transparency in the game. And even if you took every one of those review views as a dollar, you said there's 2000, let's say that's 2000 bucks. He owed you 1200 and you know, it's far beyond $2,000. If he would have just paid the bill up front and been a good person. Now it's cost him exponentially on the back end. Um, it's, it's silly. And I hope people would just want to be a good person up front, Mm -hmm. but if you're just a business person, you should do a little bit of calculation there and know that this isn't going to serve you long term. Yeah, and like you mentioned, you know, the majority of people are good. You know, I never want to leave a bad review. If, if I have a really good experience with someone, I'll go leave them a good review. Usually, a bad review maybe once every two years. So it's it's definitely not that often. But it's you know it's a you know leaving good reviews, people just helps them just as much as leaving a bad review hurts them. Yeah, when the reviews people lean into them, I know I on simple things like on Amazon for products, and then working with you know humans as contractors, like you try and find all the intel that you can. Um, so I agree with you. I think it's important to take time. Usually, when you're pissed, you're motivated to go write a bad <laughs> review. But it's it's equally as important to write those good reviews because small businesses, you know, we rely on those things, and it's such a big deal. Like you, I don't like to give bad reviews, even if it's a pretty bad ex- like unless it's awful, mm-hmm. I won't do it. Just because as a small business owner, I know how much weight that carries long-term. Um, and I always try and give benefit of the doubt the business will evolve or they'll take, I'll try and get feedback directly, but I won't necessarily put it out to universe unless it's awful. Um, but it, it, it matters and there's impact. I've even had businesses, competitive businesses, uh, that will go and leave bad reviews. Like if I have two restaurants, one will go leave a bad review on the other just to, you know, negate business from the other. So you don't ever want to get in that space, but I've mm-hmm. seen crazy things out there. Yeah. Which is crazy. And I think, you know, I think sometimes people might tell this on like sometimes you can see if, it, if it's just a competitor bringing someone down. Cause I know for myself, if you go on Amazon and someone leaves a bad review, you could click on that user. You can see all their other reviews that they left. And if they've, you know, let's say, um, you know, it's electric toothbrushes and they left 10 bad reviews on all these different toothbrushes, but have one toothbrush that they leave a good review. You're like, huh, that seems, that seems a little fishy. So sometimes I think just looking at that person, you can do that with Amazon and, and with, you know, Google as well, you can click on that person's name and then see what other reviews they've left and see like, oh, is this person just always just angry at all these products or does he actually have a point on this bad review or is he just trying to spite because this is a competitor of his? Totally, totally. And we've all got to kind of pull back and, and use that, have our own moral filter of, okay, this is out here and I need to pin it against this. And just like anything else, like we've still got to be responsible for ourselves and not put full faith into, you know, the headlines or quick reads. You got to do a little bit your own due diligence in general. Um, shifting slightly, give me some, uh, goals right now, like in this kind of crazy pandemic space, it's cool that, you know, you can do your job. I can do podcasting. We can do all this stuff digitally. What do you, uh, want for the next few years? Are you kind of open-minded to see what happens next and then kind of adjust your goals? Yeah, I think right now our goals is, so this will be our first year where we hit six figures in revenue. So our goal, my goal next year is to be able to hit seven figures in revenue. And Okay. I used to think that would be, you know, super hard, but what we found is with, especially with marketing, we're able to get our numbers, figure out, all right, if we, 
um, you know, send out this many emails. This is how many people are going to schedule calls. And then out of that people, this is how many are going to actually sign up with our services. So it's really trying to look at our business and figure out how can we get to that seven figure revenue mark. I think that's just something I've always wanted to do in my life is just go out there and start a million dollar business. And I see now there's believe, I believe there's two competitors in our space and the podcast booking space that have already surpassed that seven figure revenue mark. So I know absolutely it can be done. And that's where I really want to be and really be able to grow that business and to have it reach more people. And I feel like we're still a very young company, even doing this interview today, I've only been interviewed probably five times in the past year. And I spent all my time getting people booked on podcasts where I've never really gone out so much really in the last year and gotten myself booked on podcasts. So I really think it's, you know, there's a lot more opportunity for me to go out there, promote the company, promote the message. And that's another thing, you know, that's another goal. My goal is to do a hundred interviews this year. Okay. Might be, might be a little quick just coming up on, you know, the six months left in the year, but try to get as close as I can to that goal and then just repurpose it again for next year for the full calendar year. Again, you know, I don't think we'll be able to hit seven figures this year. But, you know, that could be a goal for, you know, this time, you know, next July, we could, you know, potentially be there. So I think really just looking at our goals. And then once you have those goals, just figuring out the numbers behind them and really getting down to what you need to do to achieve them. Like I said, for us, it's just, it's all in the numbers game. Even when we take on a client, if they want to get booked on 10 podcasts, we know we have, you know, X percent conversion rate on these shows. So this is how many shows we have to pitch them to. And I think really having those goals and having the numbers behind them instead of throwing out a number out there. Like if I said I wanted to make a million dollars in my business and I'm just starting off day one, you know, what's what's the real strategy plan? That how how's that going to happen? I think a lot of times people set these vague goals out there with no real numbers, no real reason behind them. If someone says I want to make you know I want to be earning one hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, per year, well that that might sound good, but you know, what are your expenses? What do you think you really need to live comfortable? And you might find that number you might be eighty thousand dollars a year. So instead of having to take this high paying job where you might not necessarily like, you could take a lower paying job doing something you love. Plus it allows you to live that lifestyle that you want. So I really think it's just, it's figuring out exactly why, what, what's that number? What, what number does that meaning have to you? I think it's just really some self-actualization and just figuring out what works best for you. Well, listen, self-actualization at 23, I'm here for all this. Uh, I, I think that's amazing. And I, I love to hear that, you know, the balance of the life and actually enjoying your life and then the financial money-making side. Because, I mean, not that I've made a, a millions of dollars yet, but to not have that time and energy to really enjoy your life, and you hear my dogs going crazy right now, um, and they're a priority in my world, to have that time and that balance is critical. And a lot of people my age are now starting businesses because they've gotten out of the corporate world and they see how many years have gone into something that wasn't theirs that they didn't care about. And now they're questioning it and they want to be home with their kids and, and what have you. So I think it's really powerful to be, you know, a 23 year old and, and understanding that not everything is money. Not everything is, uh, you know, chasing this larger goal. It's enjoying the journey and the things alongside you as you go. Um, I'm curious to know how big is your company? How many people are you guys working with? So right now we work with usually it ranges from 30 to 40 active clients. And okay. we, right now we have four. So we have four booking agents. One's currently on maternity leave. So three booking agents at this time. So basically they manage pretty much anywhere from like eight to 10 clients um, at a given time. God, that's, that's amazing. I am so curious to hear how this grows, just podcasting people being at home, seeing these major acquisitions and mergers with these larger companies. I'm so curious to see how you guys grow, even within the next six months. I'm almost going to disagree with you. You can't meet that seven-figure mark by the end of 
December. I mean, we're in a crazy market. People are, you know, a little bit cash strapped, although our government is pumping a bunch of money into the situation. We'll see how it goes, but I I don't know. I'm, I, as a betting individual, I would, (laughs) you guys, if you hustle and, and do a couple things, right. I actually think you could hit that seven figures, uh, mainly because I think people that do have massive marketing budget will come in and, you know, that maybe they're spending 10,000 a month on SEO uh, they'll spend, mm-hmm. you know, a couple G to come have to come to you guys and be like, okay, put me on some cast. Cause they'll just be like, they'll need the quick answer. Um, and I would even guess at some point you could probably up your prices just Ex- because. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's the whole price, you know, psychology around price point. And once you get these bigger clients in, if you're not saying, oh, this is 10 K, then they're kind of like, oh, well, this probably isn't valuable. And you could be pitching the same thing. that's 2 K, but they only see the value when it's X amount of dollars. Um, anyways, whole other podcast, but I'm super curious to see. And I would super encourage you to do more cast, do more interviews. I love that your goal is a hundred interviews because I think your story is really great. I think you as a grounded human being and chatting self-actualization as a young human is... <laughs> is phenomenal. I'd love for other young people to relate and hear that. Um, and obviously grow your business alongside that. Uh, we've got about three minutes. I just went on a rant. Give me quick details. Where do we find you? Give me website, social, anything you want to share. Sure. So anyone, you know, that's interested in getting booked on podcasts, feel free to check out our website. So it's podcastingyou.com. So that's podcastingyou.com. And then anyone has questions about podcasting, entrepreneurship, just any, uh, ideas in general, feel free to send me an email, trevor at podcastingyou.com. Just make sure you don't say, can I pick your brain for 15 or 30 minutes or I'll send you an invoice for a coaching call. Um, yep. other, other than that, you know, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram as well. My handle is just at my full name, which is Trevor Oldham. I love it. I love it. And I, I'm really curious, how did you know about PodMax um, in general? How'd you get involved with this? So I actually worked with Eric. So we, a lot of our strategy is cold email marketing. So we cold emailed someone, they put us in touch. They didn't use our services, but put us in touch with Eric and Eric, I hopped on a phone call with him, learned about the event. He actually is a client of ours. Um, so we started working with him and then I tried to get some of my clients on the show and I think they were a little bit hesitant, but I was like, you know, I'm going to go do it. This is a great opportunity. Um, for myself. So we got connected with, um, that's basically how I was able to get connected with the, with the event. And the cool thing is, is like Matt Shields from past the secret sauce. So he's actually a client of ours. So we've gotten him booked on shows, gotten, um, client guests for him. So he's, so Eric and Matt, we were able to actually put that relationship together through our company, which was pretty cool. And then it's cool just seeing some of these hosts where, you know, I'm booking or our team's getting our clients booked on their shows every day. And I've never been able to really interact with them. So that's, it's a really, really cool to see, you know, a lot of these hosts out there where, or interacting with them every day, but never really seen them more than what, you know, the professional photos might show online. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I think it's important you experience what you're slanging, you know, and I know how the bigger it gets, the more you get kind of disconnected from the ground level. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is the fun part, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is like the cool part. Well, I'm super pumped. I'll check back in with you. I would love to stay connected. Um, uh, I don't know. And, and I was curious to hear that you said you don't usually work directly with the host. Do a lot of podcasts have other people doing the booking and everything else? I believe so. Yep. So we wow. do. So we find that a lot of people have these podcast managers or even assistants. And a good thing to find that was use like a tool like LinkedIn. We go on, find the host, find the company, find out the employees. And usually you'll see like executive assistant or podcast director. And, you know, usually that'll point us in the uh, point us in the right direction. Oh, okay. Interesting. I mean, I keep very hands on, on everything with mine because, uh, way I'm crazy. B, I just like, this is like <laughs> my voice, my, my piece on branding. So I like to just be 
control and then it's just authentic. But maybe that's a goal to maybe outsource some pieces of it, but we'll see. But mm. good for everybody else. Um, all right, we have, we have one minute. Is there anything else, closing remarks, statement, quote, anything you want to share? I think, you know, pretty much with you, anyone that would say interested in entrepreneurship, best place to start, just reading books, diving into there, go on Amazon, you can buy, you know, Think You Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, any, any of those sorts of books, there's tons of them out there. Go to your library, self, start self-educating yourself, and that'll be the biggest door to learning about entrepreneurship is through that self-education. I love it. Young humans taking charge. Uh, Trevor, I appreciate what you're doing. I can't wait to see what's coming on next. Uh, thank you for coming on TNT, and let's definitely keep in touch. Most certainly. And thank you again for having me. Yes. All right. We'll see you in the big room. Thanks, Trevor. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.